And I'm Kim. Welcome back to the Massive Fans Book Club Podcast. Today we're going to keep rolling with chapters 8 through 13 of A Court of Mist of Fury by Sarah J. Mass. And this episode might get a little long, just like the last one, because we wanted to only spend two episodes getting through this part one of the book. Uh, it's broken into three parts, in case you didn't know that. So we're kind of trying to get through part one, because you may think there's a lot in part one, but you have no idea how much you're in for, for the rest of the book. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to make sure that we have more time to spend on the next few weeks episodes on the rest of the book. So that way we can really deep dive into those chapters. As a reminder, or this may be new to anyone who skipped the bonus episode, we are kindly asking all you listeners to subscribe and rate or review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening. And once you've done that, head on over to our website and use our contact us form to tell us what platform you reviewed us on, what your username is on that platform so that we can verify the review and then tell us your address because the first 20 people to do that will receive a thank you note from us with our first ever massive fans stickers. The website link is in the show notes. And disclaimer time. This podcast is more or less PG-13, so little ears are not advised. And honestly, like, if you think that it's been bad so far, just wait until I cuss out Tamlin 42 times in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, uh, anything to add, Kim? <laughs> uh, no, other than I'll be joining you on some of that cussing, but no. Right? <laughs> okay. So... A uh, quick recap. Uh, we left off uh, last episode with Pharaoh returning from the night court and being essentially interrogated by Tamlin and Lucian. So now chapter eight, a week has passed and now it's time for the tide. And I'd love to tell you about the tax structure of the spring court, but I can't because Tamlin won't explain it to Pharaoh, so she can't explain it to us. Exactly. It was so confusing. I remember the first time I read this, I'm like, what the ever-living fuck is this? Exactly. Ooh, and Sarah doesn't know either. <laughs> I, you know, I kind of had, had a weird... Um, you, did you ever see the Disney movie, um, the Robin Hood one, the, the cartoon yes. one with the foxes? Yes. It kind of makes me think of the whole, like, King John. Yes. And I, okay. Yes, and that was what I was going to say. I was going to be like, I don't know how their exact tax structure works, but it's that whole, like, feudal system, I guess. That's kind of how it comes across. I mean, I thought of that. I was like, oodle lolly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're going to roll with that. Because all we know is that she got back, she got interrogated, and then presumably the next day was the day that she described spending the whole day with Tamlin, like, basically just, like, wandering the grounds and sexing it up. And then he left for the rest of the week. And Alrighty. like, my, my dude, like, my dude, your girl has been with another man in another court for a week without any contact with you. You can't spare more than 24 hours for her. 
because they don't have telephones or cell phones or any other way to communicate. It's not like you have the internet. None of this is an option. Yeah, so I do not understand. Like, she got back, they basically had sex in a field, and he left. (laughs) I'm just like, okay. At this point, I just... I just have to throw this out there that at this point, I'm telling you, I just really feel like she has spent more time talking to Reese than she has spent talking to Damon. Yeah. <laughs> because she has talked to Reese more in, by this point than in the first book in this up and, and through to this point yes. with Tamlin. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was like, because you and I talked about in the first book about how, like, even I kept bringing up the timeline. That's kind of why we kept bringing it up. Because remember, we were like, it really works out that she only spent about three months with Tamlin before spending three months under the mountain. And during the time under the mountain, she only had Reese to talk to. Yeah. I mean, she said a few things to Tamlin, but in front of everybody. It wasn't like they were speaking and communicating and having conversation well right and then and then when she gets back we know that she spends about three months with tamlin like planning their wedding but like we know that that's not going well and that she spent half the time just hanging out with the Anthe and tamlin's like out at the wall or whatever the shit <laughs> and and then reese starts picking up his deal and he's only getting her for one week a month but if he's only picking her up for one week a month and then tamlin's spending at least a week away at a time <laughs> I don't know. I just, uh, we'll get into this more later because this comes up again. I think it's either later in this chapter or in another chapter. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so anyway, Tam left for whatever reason and basically told her to keep to the grounds and hang out with the sentries. I don't know. Lame. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Woo woo woo. Um, <laughs> We learn that once Tam returns, it'll be time for the tithe. And like I said, all we know is that Yanthi picked out an outfit with, with accompanying jewelry for Favor to wear for the day it happens. And she's just instructed to sit by Tam and observe. <laughs> sit and look pretty. Yeah. Pat, pat, uh, pat. Exactly. So again, lame. <laughs> they treat her like a little China doll. They really do. That shit just yanks my chain. Sorry. I tried to tell her that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, then, called her out on that in her wedding dress. He really did. Um, then Tamlin returns, and it's tithe day. And Tamlin is seated atop a dais in the manor's great hall, which Favor notes is like what Lucian calls like the receiving room. And she thinks it's in an attempt to not call it the throne room because, you know, we called it the throne room uh, under the mountain and that was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, Lucian tries. <laughs> God bless the boy. But please note that Feyre is literally kneeling next to Tamlin on this idiot dais. <laughs> Like, what the actual fuck? Like, we couldn't get this bitch a chair? I don't, just, Jesus Christ, I can't. So that's where I start to rage. (laughs) And guys, my patience for this whole situation is so thin. Uh, Kim knows my allergies are just like out the wazoo. And if I've forgotten to tell anybody, I'm like really pregnant at this point. So I got a kid like dancing on my pelvis. I can't breathe through my nose. And Tam was pissing me the fuck off. It's a fun combination. Mm -hmm. It really is. (laughs) 
So anyway, this whole thing goes down a little like you assume. People from the spring court come and pay their taxes in whatever it is they have, like jewels, chickens, jam, it doesn't matter. And they pay whatever they owe. How they know what they owe, they don't explain. I guess they just wing it like we do our tax returns. <laughs> I mean, like, this is not explained at all. It's just like, show up and give me a chicken. I don't know. <laughs> and what the actual fuck Tamlin plans to do with a lifetime supply of jam and live chickens, I'll never know. I was going to say, maybe that's where it goes for the feasts. Do you remember no, when Favor they... first got there and they had all that food? Okay, but that's dumb. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, you're probably right, but I don't know. The point is, these people come in, apparently some are, like, crying and thanking Feyre, and, like, some are trying to avoid looking at her, and it's, like, a whole thing, and anyway, they come in, they pay up, and then Lucian checks them off a list, and, like, we move on to the next person. And this goes on for more than four hours. <laughs> I would have lost my fucking mind. Well, right. And the only reason we know it's more than four hours is because Farrah makes a note that at, by four hours, she's so bored to death that she, like, doesn't even hear these people talking. <laughs> but things are about to get interesting, I promise. Uh, a lanky, gray-skinned fairy with long, dark hair, big black eyes, and webbed fingers and toes, who doesn't wear clothes, by the way. Well, she's what? Naked? <laughs> yeah, just just naked. Uh, and a mouthful of uh, sharp, jagged teeth. Yeah, yeah, so that's a thing. Um, <laughs> she approaches Tamlin and announces, on behalf of the water wraiths, I greet thee, High Lord. I'm like, this thing is ugly, okay? But that is not the point. Like, <laughs> Pharaoh's like a little scared. <laughs> and Tamlin's just like, mm-hmm. And she steps forward, and Lucian steps between this fairy and Feyre, which I'll get back to in a minute because I just don't know what we're doing anymore. But anyway, <laughs> the water step, it's like, I, I just observed something weird. And we have to, like, go back, but I want to get through this part first. <laughs> um, the fairy steps forward and explains that there are no fish left in the pond, and she has, or like the lake, I don't know, I, I feel like she says lake, and then I feel like later she says pond, but whatever. There's no fish. <laughs> For them to eat. Yeah, so she's already not got anything to eat, but she also can't pay, like, their tithe. And Tamlin just says, regardless, you are expected to pay, which rightfully sets Feyre's little red flags off in her head as she's looking at Tamlin decked out in jewels and is like, what the hell are a few fish to you anyway? But he goes on, there are no exceptions. You have, okay, this part makes no sense to me. You have three days to present what is owed or offer double next time. Okay. <laughs> First of all, where is she going to get fish if there are none today? There's not going to be any in three days. That's not how fish work. And second, double next tithe is the same thing as paying, like, okay, like, think about it. If it's double, then, like, today I owe you three fish. If I owe you double next tithe, I owe you six fish. So apparently in this tithe system, there is no interest. I just owe you what I owe you forever that I owe you. <laughs> Which means that this system makes even less sense than I thought, okay? Like, how are you going to demand that somebody pay you in the next three days? And if they don't, the consequences pay me by the next time you're supposed to pay me. 
Right. <laughs> like, I'm just confused because if this man is all about his tax day, like, he should have a tax system. <laughs> and this is not a system. No. And shouldn't there logically be sentries or something there to kind of help and, you know, keep track? I don't know. I think I, I Lucian's keeping track. And then, okay, so yeah, quick, going back. Going dude, back it's been to taking the... four hours to go through all of this. Hold on real quick. It was taking four hours to get oh, yeah. this far. I mean, and there's still a line. Oh, yeah. It's going to take more than Lucian. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree with you, but I guess we all have to have our Tamlin time. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I don't know. I mean, I'm talking about, like, people, like, they're working to help take the stuff that gets well, dropped off. Right. You're talking, like, DMV style, where we have, like, last names A through Z, A through M over here, and M through Z over here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm with you. This is not a system. Uh, and right now, no. like I said, just Lucian freaking checking off a list. And like I said, speaking of Lucian, apparently he's like armed to the teeth and he's stationed next to Feyre's side. And like, I just want to know, like, what do they think is going to happen during the tithe? Like, are they expecting a riot? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, who is going to come in and attack them? And then, I don't like, know. Yeah. It's not like it's it's not like it's gonna be resand because um first of all, he's proven that he can kick their ass. Well, right. Okay, okay, and then forget who, fine, you're scared of something. Okay, but isn't Tamlin a powerful high lord and he's sitting right there? Like how on God's green earth, if something happens, is it Lucian's job to protect Pharaoh? Uh yeah. Then there's that. So I mean, unless our, it's like a swarm in the gar or something, I guess. I, I don't know. But even then, like, Tamlin, like, you are a fucking high lord with powers. Like, protect your girl. Why is this Lucian's problem? Exactly. Anyway, so like I said, I don't know what we're doing. And that's why earlier I was like, we have to come back to this. So that was me coming back to this. And the answer is I still don't know. He's a douche. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, back to the point, uh, Feyre, <laughs> Feyre, like us, says in her head, the water wraith had nothing to eat. How could he expect her to give him food? And right? <laughs> Hello? Uh, but also, we can tell that this is, like, playing into her own food insecurities growing up, and she's realizing Absolutely. that Tam can't even begin to understand what these people are going through, and she can Exactly. So the water wraith points out that she has no gold to pay him with, and Tamlin gets insulted because I guess she, like, kind of cuts him off to tell him that. But, like, he's repeating himself. He's just like, three days, blah, 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 three days, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I'd cut this jackass off, too. <laughs> but, the, but the point is, he tells her to pay now or double next month, and if she doesn't, she apparently knows the consequences. And I mean, she might know what they are, but we don't. <laughs> I just know he sounds like a jackass. That's, like, all we know. Yeah. Um, also, it occurs to me that when he says pay now or double next month, like, oh my god, we have to do this monthly. <laughs> but here's the thing. If they're doing it monthly, okay, hear me out. If they're doing it monthly, then what the fuck were they doing prior to all this? Well, okay, so, like, that was explained, oh, God, was that explained now, or was this explained earlier? I don't remember, but somewhere 
in this book that was sort of like the first time the tie that we I know they, they suspended it for quite a while but it's just it's like really like yeah dude really okay but like fuck that like it's monthly like I assumed it was quarterly at best but like I figured it was annual like tax day yeah because again if she don't got no fish today she ain't gonna have no fish tomorrow and like if the only thing i grow is cabbage cabbage only grows x number of months a year i mean i guess they're in the spring court maybe it's always but still you know you get the point i do (laughs) well i i totally get the point anyway point is is i wouldn't want to be this dude's wife just for the fact that i'd have to be sitting next to him for like four hours a fucking month taking some fucking chickens so our water race friends skulk, like sulks and slinks away and Feyre finally mutters what we're all thinking, which is we don't need a basket of fish. Why make her suffer like that? Right. And he just says that he can't make exceptions or everyone will want one. And like, I get it, but also like if your system sucked less, you'd be able, you'd have a system for these things. Yep. You wouldn't re- be repeating this stupid three-day crap like a moron. Uh, it seems very feudalistic. Yeah, and fair. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I feel like I'm fired up for them about their tax system, but is even more fired up, and she says, but we don't need these things. Why do we need a golden fleece or a jar of jam? If she has no fish, three days won't make a difference. Why make her starve? Why not help her replenish the pond? And then her internal monologue goes on. I'd spent enough years with an aching belly to not be able to drop it, to want to scream at the unfairness of it. And Mm -hmm. Tamlin just like shrugs this whole thing off saying, because that's the way it is. (laughs) Just because it's the way you've done something for forever, making it a tradition does not necessarily make it right. Yeah, you think? (laughs) So... Feyre is beyond pissed and tries to continue this conversation, but then thinks better of it and announces that she just, she needs some fresh air and she storms out. And I'm like, yeah, you go girl. (laughs) And she catches up with the water wraith who is crying by the way. And she gets her attention and the water wraith like kind of like half bows because she doesn't know what she's supposed to do. She just knows like Feyre's like sort of like she's she's with Tamlin so she must be important and Feyre asks how much is your tithe and the water wraith tells her it's more in gold than she'd have in her pocket which I get like she's thinking like oh nice thank you nice lady you were gonna give me like some change from your pocket but that's not really gonna like fix this problem um but Feyre won't let it go she takes off her ruby bracelet her gold necklace and diamond earrings and gives them all to the water wraith saying Give him what you owe, then buy yourself some food. And, like, wide-eyed and flabbergasted, the water wraith asks Feyre, like, what does she want in return? And she says, nothing. It's not a bargain. And after some convincing, the water wraith does take all of it. And she says, thank you. I will not forget this kindness, nor will any of my sisters. Which, like, as soon as I read it even the first time, I just, like, knew it was going to be important. (laughs) It'll come back. It's kind of one of those Easter eggs. Well, because we, because if we know anything in fantasy as in life, <laughs> um, sometimes <laughs> it's way more important to have allies and like outstanding favors that you can call in than it is to have an ugly bracelet. Yep. Funny how that works. 
Um, so then I think we get a snowflakey thing because now it's later that evening and it's dinner time and it's awkward AF. Because <laughs> oh. Lucian is looking at Tamlin and then looking at Farah and then looking at his plate and then repeat. <laughs> tense. I think tense is a good description. Yeah, it's tense and it's silent until we finally explode because Farah's like, what? Tamlin's like, you know what it is. You gave that water wraith your jewelry. Jewelry I gave you. And Lucian, because he's my favorite and he's all of us when our friends are fighting, literally just like slumps in his chair and says, here we go. (laughs) And then Feyre and Tam get into it. And it gets Mm -hmm. ugly. Mm -hmm. He's all, you're undermining my authority. And she's all, don't talk to me like that. And then she finally like dumbs it way down for him and just like lays it out and says, you still have no idea what it was like for me to be on the verge of starvation for months at a time. And you can call her a glutton all you like, but I have sisters too. And I remember what it felt like to return home without any food. Mm -hmm. And she like takes a breath. And then she goes in again and says, so maybe she'll spend all that money on stupid things. Maybe she and her sisters have no self-control, but I'm not going to take that chance and let them starve because of some ridiculous rule that your ancestors invented. Go, Farah! Right? Uh, finally, the little spitfire we know is back. She has entered the chat. <laughs> Woohoo! There's our girl. And Lucian, because we love him, like tries to mediate and he's like, she meant no harm, Tam. Worse things have happened. Worse things can happen. Just relax. And I think that final sentence is like the failure here because like when in the history of ever asking somebody who's tense to relax, has that person relaxed? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, so he's like, just relax. And Tamlin snaps at him. Uh, and says he didn't ask for his opinion. And I think this is the moment that Feyre starts to, like if I had to pick a pivotal moment where is finally like starting to spiral, it's right now because she watches Tamlin be such an asshole to Lucian. And it's like one thing for them to have their own like, you know, well, they're not married right now, that you're supposed to be, so they're marital issues, but, you know, it's, like, just too much to watch him do be this. Yeah, just be a jackass to his friend. Yeah, exactly, like, be a jackass to his friend and just, I'm gonna, like, read it, because I can't even explain it as well as Farrah does. Uh, <clears throat> so this is what happens. Those words, the look he gave Lucian, and the way Lucian lowered his, lowered his head. My temper was a burning river in my veins. Look up, I silently beseeched him. Push back, he's wrong, and we're right. Lucian's jaw tightened. That force thrummed in me again, seeping out, spearing for Lucian. Do not back down. Then I was gone. Still there, still seeing through my eyes, but also half looking through another angle in the room, another person's vantage point. Thoughts slammed into me images and memories, a pattern of thinking and feeling that was old and clever and sad, so endlessly sad and guilt-ridden, hopeless. Then I was back, blinking, no more than a heartbeat passing as I gaped at Lucian. His head, I'd been inside his head, had slid through his mental walls. (laughs) Yeah, homegirl knows exactly what she did. (laughs) 
and who that part of her gifts would be from. <laughs> hmm. A certain high lord of a night court, maybe? Maybe, but the handprints burned into the table. Though she's not so sure who she got those from, so she chucks her napkin over it, hoping that nobody saw, and storms out of the dining room. And Tamlin, ever the bastard, yells, we're not finished with this meal. And I like to envision that she flips him off because I would, but she says, oh, get over yourself. And then she's out of there. <laughs> I love that she does that. Get over yourself. Like, yep. Go, go. And that is the end of the chapter. And like, what a way to start an episode. <laughs> Damn. Um, so yeah, Kim, you want to take us through the aftermath of this little spat? Absolutely. So, so chapter nine, Farrah's back in her, her room. She literally left dinner, goes to her room. And she's like, she's not freaking out that she told Pam off. No, no, no. Our girl is like, shit, did I really like, did I really leave burn marks on the table? Maybe I didn't. No, maybe, maybe that was not. I think when dilutions might, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Like she's having like an existential crisis about the burn marks and going into Lucian's yep. head. Could care less about the fact that she told Tam basically what to do with himself. It's like, all right, girl, you go. So Alice is helping her get ready. And Alice kind of chides her a little for you gave Waterwraith, you know, your jewels. But then Alice is like, but you know, she is never going to forget this, and she will forever be in your debt. The word, news of this will spread. And Fair comes back, and she's like, yeah, that's kind of a fear of mine. <laughs> and Alice is like, you know, the last 50 years, too many people have known hunger. Right. And even Tamlin and High Lords haven't, other people in the courts have. And so the fact that Feyre did stand up basically for that using her own experiences with hunger and, and food insecurity, I think really kind of makes her a champion of the people, in my opinion. But Feyre, they are so emotionally and mentally wrecked by everything that's happened to her the last six months. Oh, this yeah. poor girl, this poor girl just, she sees it as a negative, not as a positive, and it, that hurts right, my heart right. for her. And I'm just like, girl, girl please but i also know what an ugly nasty horrible beast of an animal depression is from my own experiences so i also kind of get where she's coming from exactly so Farah hangs out in the room and it's like after midnight and she's finally like fuck this where the hell is he let me go get him so she goes to get him and he's in his office or study same difference really you know, when you have money, it's a study. If you don't, it's an office, right? Right? So anyway, she goes to the study and she finds him. And Tamlin apologizes for what he said to her and what like he said to matter. I'm really sorry. That's kind of how I imagine it. It's the whole really sorry. Me too. Okay, good. You Dude. picture him like a dumb jock in high school too? Okay, good. Yeah, it was the whole, I'm sorry. Dude, I'm gonna smack your head. What the hell? <laughs> anyway, 
he gives her a box, a present. And Thayer had been trying to be cute and flirty and really kind of move past this. And Tam literally stops and gives her a box that is two feet tall by three feet wide. And Feyre, as she's doing this, is like, oh, please, God, let it not be a crown. <laughs> like, I love I don't how know that's her not. biggest fear. She's like, oh, please, not an ugly piece of jewelry. Basically. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know what that says, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I get it, especially from what happened earlier in the day, but at the same time, I'm just like, um, um, okay. Kind of weird, but okay. And she opens it. And she says, and I quote, because this is, I just have to explain this because it's written better than I can even explain. It says, there's internal monologue. It was worse than a crown, actually. Built into the box were compartments and sleeves and holders, all full of brushes and paints and charcoal and sheets of paper. A traveling painting kit. Red. The red paint inside the glass vial was so bright, the blue is stunning as the eye as the eyes of that fairy woman that I had slaughtered. Okay, hold up. Dumbass is giving her art supplies. She hasn't been painting. Yeah, I don't know what possesses him to think this is a good idea. This is like giving somebody a new motorcycle helmet after they had a crash. Basically, here, let me give you a helmet and maybe a pair of boots or something stupid. I mean, really, I'm like, dude, you got issues. And, you know, I, I can appreciate her whole, oh, shit. Remember, she has a issue with the color red. So the first color she sees is the red paint. And the red makes her think of blood. And then the blue right next to it reminds her of the eyes of the fairy. And, like, this is doomed, man. Like, you can tell this is just doomed. And, like, why has he not... Uh, fine. Like, we can pretend Ianthi's just the worst wedding planner on Earth and fucked up the roses. But, like, how does he not know her issue with red? I, you know? I don't know. I mean, like, it makes me think he's that disconnected from her. He's just that clueless, that inattentive. And it it upsets me on her behalf. Like, you know, as the reader, I'm just like, dude, you're an ass. And that's the nicest thing I can say. And, I mean, she's like, looking at that box, at what was inside, felt like examining a crow-picked corpse. This is so not going to end well. And then Tam's like, well, you don't like it. And she's like, no, it's, it's lovely. And, 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 and he was like, well, you know, it, I thought maybe if you started to paint again, you might. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold your horses. What about you? And he's like, well, I'm not talking about me. We're talking about you. Like, you are such an ass. Like, I can literally hear the big dumb jock voice in my head. I'm sorry, but... Yes! Like, dude, you fucking suck. And anyway, they begin to argue again. Because Feyre isn't jumping up and down for joy, all excited about a gift. And I'm just like, oh my god, what a dickhead. And then Fiera's like, okay, fine. I have this great gift. Will I be free to roam anywhere I want to paint? Womp womp. Yeah, she gets silence. 
And she's like, well, that's a, and, and she's like, and we'll, will centuries be following every step I take? And she's like, well, that would be a no and a yes. No, she can't go wherever she wants. And yes, she will be surrounded by centuries. Oh, dude. Like, this was his chance to, like, say something where it would be like, I don't know, like, I understand a little bit, like, he's trying to protect her, but it's like, I feel like this would be your chance to, like, explain yourself. You know what I mean? Where you could a be little. like, yeah. Like, give a little. Like, this would be his chance to be like, well, I mean, I'm sorry you feel like you can't go anywhere. I guess I could let up on the guards at least, like, around the house and the manor and stuff. I just don't want to see you get hurt. So, like, maybe, like, if you want to leave the grounds, you could come get one of the centuries. You know what I mean? Give her something. And he gives her nothing. I mean, he's a complete asshole about it. And it, it upsets Farah enough. And she's like... She began shaking, but for me, for us, I made myself say, Tamlin, Tamlin, I, I can't. I can't live my life with guards around me day and night. I can't live with that suffocation. Just let me help you. Let me work with you. And he's like, but you've given enough. And Pharaoh's like, I get that, but, and he just, but you've given enough. Which doesn't and, even and make sense as an answer to me. You've given enough. Well, but she's going to live forever now, presumably. So the idea that she's never supposed to give anything again for the rest of eternity seems a little stupid. And, you know, she's like, I'm faster now. I'm stronger now than I was before. And he's like, well, my family was faster and stronger than you are. And they couldn't survive. I'm like, um, okay, dude. Okay, but also his family was, like, killed, like, stealthy, stealthy. Like, we hate you. Like... You know, Romeo right. and Juliet style. Not like, <laughs> not like they were in a war and they weren't fast enough. <laughs> like, exactly. Exactly. And that's part I don't get either. Like, I'm just like, y'all got issues. So, and this just pisses Fair off. And she's like, fine. You know, then marry somebody who can put up with this. Yeah, which was like a big, like, full stop. Like, whoa, I thought it, but she said it. Like, I mean, it's like you can just hear that squealing, grinding sound of everything coming to a, a dead stop. And then, like, there's just, like, in my mind, there's, like, crickets. <laughs> like, he's just, Accurate. Like, you know, total crickets. And he's like, well, do you not want to marry me then? And she's like, of course I do. Tamlin, I'm drowning. I managed to say, I am drowning. And the more you do this, the more guards, you might as well be shoving my head under the water. Which, like, good, like, okay, like, Kim and I talked about this earlier today. I remember vaguely, like, this part when I read it the first time, but it wasn't until the second reread that I was like, she is literally telling him point blank, I cannot do this. I am depressed, and this is what I need from you. She could not no. be more clear. No, she really couldn't. I mean, she's like, you are, you are smothering me, basically. And he's not, he's not responding. He's not even listening, to be very honest. And then, <clears throat> literally, an instinct. She cries out, drops to the ground, covers herself with her hands. 
And in that moment, the window shattered, furniture splintered, the box of paints, brushes, and everything is turned to dust. And that's the end of the chapter. What? I think somebody had a temper tantrum. Maybe I'm wrong. You think? Chapter 10 picks up right where we left off. And she literally, Feyre, she's like, you know, it literally went from being the study, being, you know, desk, furniture, chairs, everything. And then it was like just a shell of a room. Destruction. Which, I'm sorry, but that's freaky as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be terrified to be married to somebody like that. I mean, that, like, screams. He's already gaslighted her for so much. I mean, this is, like, this is screaming domestic violence to me at this point. I'm just like, whoa. And I don't know if anybody, and I feel like maybe I've made this analogy before. I don't know if anybody watched (laughs) Grey's Anatomy, but there was a part in that that really covered situations like this really well with, like, Christina, and she's... think she's married to Owen they at least live together I don't remember the details but at one point his PTSD is so bad from being like you know like Mm -hmm. in the military overseas that in the middle of the night he has a night terror and he tries to strangle her and she like is terrified of him for like days after that and like at one point he like just like drops a pan in the kitchen and she flinches and it's this whole thing where he's like you're scared of me now and she's like yeah and i feel like that's what's happening here but they're not having the con- they're not having the second part of that conversation where he's admitting no. like you're afraid of me now and she's like yeah no all we get is a temper t- like temper tantrum after temper tantrum yes yes I mean, he is so emotionally mentally abusing her at this point with this and it's just like she's already depressed like what the hell dude are you trying to do to her and you know, she is, like, shaking so hard. She thought literally, like, her bones were going to break. She was so scared, and she was shaking. And then she looks up at Tamlin, and he's, like, all upset and devastated and full of fear and pain and grief. And I get it, but dude needs to learn how to control his temper. And she's like, you know, all around me, no debris had fallen as if he had shielded me. Like, so she was in this little circular bubble of, it's like the, the safe zone in the room. The rest right. of the room is ground zero. She is literally like the eye of the hurricane, so to speak. Exactly. Perfectly safe. And Tamla goes a step near her to talk to her, and he can't. Like, he, he cannot cross the line between disaster and nothing. And he starts begging her and, and saying her name. And, and she finally realizes that he isn't the one who put that shield of whatever around her. She did. So here we go. We've, so in the same night, we have, we have gone into somebody else's mind. We have left scorch marks on a table. We know she keeps bending furniture, uh, uh, silverware and stuff, right? And now she just shielded herself. Yep, but we're just pretending we don't see any of this, remember? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, Tam- Tamlin's like, what? 
nothing. This is all going straight over Tamlin's head somehow. And he starts begging her to let him in. And finally she something cracked in her and in doing that it it cracked the wall of, of, of whatever it was she had around her, the shield. And he could step over and he's like he, he gets on his knees and he's begging her and he's like, I'm so sorry and she can't stop shaking. She is so scared she cannot stop shaking. And he's like, I'll try. I'll try to be better. I don't know. I, I can't control it sometimes. The rage today was just, today was bad with the tithe, with all of it. Today, let's forget it. Let's just move past it, please. Now, I am proud of Tamlin for recognizing that he's had a bad day and that he needs to figure out how to move past it and he has a problem. However, that does not that just doesn't explain what he did and how he handled it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just sorry. Well, and I think the thing that gets to me about this whole situation is, like, I understand that she has essentially, like, issues because she has, like, depression. And I get that he has issues because he has, like, anger management problems. Like, I can both forgive. Yeah. And I can, yeah, they both have some serious PTSD. Like, I can forgive a lot of things. But I think what makes me so mad is that she's literally like 19 or 20 years old. And I guess she's 20 now because she was 19 in the last book. Mm -hmm. We passed her birthday. And so she's 20 years old and she's been through all of this and she's literally 20. You know, she may be, you know, eternally youthful now or whatever bullshit, but she's 20. He's how old? Like he's been, right, like he's been around the block. And, and Fair admits this, the best way that Tamlin and she can communicate is literally physically, skin to skin. Communicating with words, not so much. But they can do the whole, you know, nonverbal communication. And he's like, I couldn't save you before. I couldn't protect you from them. And when you said that about, about me drowning you, am I any better than they were? I'll try to do better. Please forgive me. Give me more time. Let me let me get through this, please. Vera's response, and I love her mental response because this is in her mental monologue. She's like, yes. get through what? And I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah, get through what? He Great. had a temper tantrum. You know, the days are, are just going by and, and she's stopped trying to get answers out of him because she realizes his his role is that as a protector and um you know so she's like i'd stop pestering him for answers a protector that's who he was would always be what i had wanted when i was cold and hard and joyless and what i had needed to melt the ice of bitter years on the cusp of starvation I didn't have the nerve to wonder what I needed or wanted now who I had become. And I think for me, this is like a huge, like she's having a huge moment of self-awareness and she's like, Oh, I'm not who I was six months ago, nine months ago. Um, when he came and he, you know, stole me out of the house a year ago or whatever at this point, cause you're coming up on a year. 
you know, she's not the same person. She's not starving and hungry. She's already died and been brought back to life. And, you know, that traumatized her. And those experiences traumatized her. And so I think, you know, he's being very tone deaf and not picking up on that and just treating her like he did before, if not even more overprotectively than he had. And I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I felt really bad. Um, he takes off and goes away again. And so Pharaoh's way of dealing with everything, because she couldn't paint, had no desire to paint. She goes to the library and she practices her reading and her shielding because, well, you got to do something because what do you do when you're depressed and bored? Got to pass the time. <laughs> That's right. She did try to get the shield to come back, but she couldn't. She never could quite rec recreate it. But, you know, I got to give the girl credit. She tried, you know. And anyway, Tamlin had come back and they had you know, falling back into their habit of, you know, sleeping in her room and her bed and having sex and the whole happy, happy. And then one and morning. Talking, but not talking about anything that matters. <laughs> right. Talk about everything but what they needed to have a conversation about. That's such a healthy, healthy relationship. And then one morning, Favorite wakes up. She can hear voices in the hallway, these low male voices talking. And she doesn't think anything of it at first. I'm sure she probably thought maybe it was Tamlin and Lucian having a conversation about something. Who knows, right? Right, right. And then she hears snarling and growling and Tamlin yelling, get out. At which point, Farrah does the math and realizes it's Reese. Looks <laughs> exactly. at the tattoo on her hand and is like, oh shit, it can't be. It can't be. It is. But of course it can be. Okay, because the math sucks on this. I have to, I have to admit, um, <laughs> if anybody's ever done the whole thing where you like Google the math done in the Disney Beauty and the Beast and you're like, this yes. is some bullshit, this math does not work. Like you're yes. looking like technically the beast should be like eight years old and some shit. Like it's, it's terrible. Um, it feels like that to me because we know that <laughs> We know that she got back from the night court. And then we know Tamlin was gone for at least a week. And right. then we know that the tithe bullshit happened. And we know yep. that he goes away for a couple of days. And then like Kim said, we know that she says like for the next two weeks, he like tried, you know, we were like trying to be normal. That's four weeks. Like we all knew that her week with Reese had to be coming up. She's been home now for four weeks. And technically, shouldn't she only be home for three weeks before the fourth week comes up? Technically, unless I guess it's one week a month. They didn't specify what week. So maybe it's every three, every four, every five, maybe every it six. shifts around whenever Reese feels like, yeah, I have no idea. But I, I just was know, like, this know. is dumb. We had to have known this was coming. I know. It's like, it's like she can't do math, which she probably can't, but that's a different story, I guess, right? You got a point. So anyway, she goes to open the door to figure it out and realizes halfway across the room that um, she's butt naked. So before she opens the door, she puts on a blanket around her body. What? You, know, you like, just put on clothes? That part cracked me up. I was like, lady, this like is not that dire. Wouldn't you let them just keep yelling at each other for 10 minutes while you put on a fucking shirt? 
Exactly. I'd be like, fuck it. I'd get my clothes on. You know, because then that means, I, yeah, I don't understand this, except for the fact that I'm not enough of a morning person that I, I imagine if I got woken up that way and I was that out of it, it is possible that I would have done the same thing in the same circumstances. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of roll with it a little. The only other thing I have is like the only other thing I can think of. And this is like digging a hole deep to make a point. Like, <laughs> so it's probably bullshit. <laughs> but if I have to put on my like, you know, A plus level BSing hat, like when you, you know, write a 10 page book report on a 10 page book. Um, <laughs> if I have to put that kind of like BSing into it, I'd be like, oh, yeah. well, maybe it's because she doesn't have like a lot of modesty around either of them. Because think about it, like she sleeps naked with Tamlin. So what's the point there? And like, like Jesus, Reese has seen her at her worst and basically naked in those awful dresses under the mountain. So, I mean, she exactly. may just be like, I don't know, everybody, everybody here has seen my tits. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, party party is there. Yeah, so maybe she's just not worried about it. <laughs> I don't know. I I just find it very bizarre. And as soon as she opens the door, Reese goes, look at her. And I love this bit. He literally looks at her and he goes from smiling to, like, his face falling. And he is like, are you running low on food? Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess so, because those damn water rates didn't show up with their fish. You know, the three fish that they needed or whatever stupidity it was. Yeah, I mean, for real. And Reese is like, fine, let's go. And Tam, he and Tam continue arguing. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, my God, stop fighting. You know, I'm thinking this. And Reese is like, go put some clothes on. We're going. And she's like, fine. So they go. She goes into the bedroom and she starts digging through the wardrobe because she does have night court clothes. Smart girl. She's like, you know, at least I have clothes I can wear back, wear back there. Right. So she puts them on and she realizes that the one thing she actually hasn't really realized yet, but she, she makes a comment about the fact that the pants are a little big on her. And I'm thinking, girlfriend, you weren't that big to begin with. So you've gone back down to bones again. I know exactly where Reese's comment came from because she, she's not eating enough because she's depressed, which means she's lost a ton of weight. It happens. The other and, thing that occurs to me, and I didn't think about it like literally until you were just talking about it now. I think the other thing is, is <laughs> okay, hear me out. Some people, like, food is their, like, love language, you know? <laughs> like, you care about somebody, you feed them. And I right. think we're supposed to just grasp that that's kind of Reese's MO in the first place. Because as we recall, like, when she came to the, like, when she came to spring court at first and she wouldn't eat, like, did Tamla and Lucia tell her to eat? Yeah. But did they, like, make sure she ate? No. Did they ever, no. like, follow up on that? No. Did they ever really give a shit, like, hey, what size pants do you wear? No. But, like, what is one of the first things Reese does with his deal with her under the mound? Feed he her. Eats her. And so I think he's pissed because he's kind of like, 
not that she's his pet, but she's he's kind of like, I fed this cat under the mountain, and then I gave you this cat, and now you're giving it back to me all malnourished. Exactly. Like, what the hell? I fed it under the mountain, and you can't feed it on a good day. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's a great analogy. And, <laughs> I mean, I went through a period in college where I was really depressed, and I dropped a ton of weight. I just wasn't eating. And, I mean, I got really tiny. It wasn't healthy. And so, I mean, I know where favor's coming from in the mental sense, and I know why, I know how it's affecting her. And so... Um, I get it, and I understand it, and I also know she doesn't realize it, because honestly, when it was happening to me, I didn't realize it either. Um, it took some of my friends making sure I sat down and ate lunch with them and had dinner with them. Like, it got to the point my friends were making sure I was eating with them, because they realized I wasn't eating. And he just keeps apologizing, and I get it. Like, I totally understand. But she looks up over his shoulder at this point, and she's literally watching the red paint that had splattered when the box exploded slide down the wall looking like blood. There's a happy thought, huh? Yep. And then we get one of our little crosses. And she's like, you know, so the next couple of days, all Tamlin did was apologize and they made love and, and, and you know, there were fewer guards as she walked around and Everything she did, though, she knew everywhere she went, anything she did, it was being reported right back to Tamlin, but at least she had the appearance of, of less restrictions. Right. So, the one big thing that comes out of this, they don't ever talk about the fact that she created the shield. Because, again, she doesn't have powers. Yeah, these Dumbass. are just all made up in our heads, I guess. And anyway, we have another little snowflake. <laughs> and like I said, I, I didn't realize I was doing it. My friends realized what was going on and had at least enough sense to be like, you need to come eat with us. Come on. You know, like they were constantly making meal plan arrangements with me. I'll tell you, I had no idea at the time. It's like me looking back now and I know what they were doing, but at the time I had no clue. Right, um, right. And that's kind of what Reese has done this whole time. He made sure she ate under the mountain. He made sure she was clothed and fed and clean. Taken and care of. Yeah. It's horrible. It breaks my heart. It really does. Um, and and Farrah is starting to get a little logical here. And she's, because, you know, Tam's like, you know, well, I'm going to, I'll let you go when he, you know, I'll, I'll, when, when the, when he releases you from the bargain, yada, 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 I'll listen to him and trust him then. And, and Farrah's like, did it ever occur to you? He's kind of keeping the bargain in place because otherwise you won't talk to him and listen to him. And, right. you know, she's actually kind of thinking a little outside the box. You go girl. And yeah, but not only you know, she, she's not, she didn't even have to think outside the box. Reese basically said that to her last time. He was like, I need right. you to be a go between. And there's no way that she left that out of her story when he interrogated her. So he should know this. I know. And you know, I just, I'm like, I don't know. And then of course, Dumbass Tamlin is like, well, why do you need to know these things? Is it not enough that you get to recover in peace? You earned it. Like, um, I don't know. She's going to be your wife. There's war coming. She's got family there. She certainly has shown that she is more than capable of 
fighting to protect those in whom she loves. The hell, like dude? He thinks he's the only one with family. Exactly. He's always like, well, my family died and this, that, and the other thing. Okay, so how can you not possibly understand that she's trying to save her family, you dumbass? Even if they didn't have the healthiest relationship. And so he's like, like, you know, this isn't the time for this conversation. And Pharaoh's like, it's never the time for this conversation or that conversation. She didn't say it, but, you know, she's thinking it. And I, I really, again, I think you're right, Kelsey. There was that point where she just, it finally started to break. And where the, she had that break then, but I think the yeah. final nail in the coffin was the episode in the study. Oh, yeah, for sure lost his shit and blew everything on the study up around her. Well, yeah, because um, now I, we can't trust him. Well, yeah. I mean, Before, I Before, we were just mad he's not listening and he's being a dick. Now he's being literally, like, dangerous. Exactly. So, Vera's like, okay, and she literally, she, she finally gets, she walks away from Tamlin, she goes out the door and goes to Reese and you know, then Tamlin, Tamlin tries to bargain with Reese. Like, I thought a dumbass, right? I love this exchange, though. I think this exchange is really good. It is, but I'm like, dude, Tamlin, you're such a douche. Hello, I'm Tamlin the Tool, douche canoe extraordinaire. Because he's like, you and her bargain right here, right now, and I'll give you anything you want anything and Pharaoh's like are you out of your mind she's like you couldn't run this shit by me first <laughs> hello you know I'm right here and and Reese just kind of looks at him and he's like I already have everything I want <laughs> walks around Tamlin grabs Pharaoh and they're gone <laughs> end of chapter I just love that like, I can just picture his sassy ass being, mm, I already have everything I want, including your girl. Bye! <laughs> yeah, it That's exactly what it was. It was like, got it, I'm out, bye, peace. And I'm like, ooh, snap. In the Z formation, I mean, you know, it's like, right? I was like total like, oh, Jesus, diva queen moment. Oh, I loved it. It makes me giggle. It really does. It but that was the end too. of chapter 10. Tamlin's such a prize. Let me tell you, people, I'm just mm, not entertained in any way, shape, or form by Tamlin at this point. I'm over Tamlin. I wasn't kidding. He is Tamlin the Tool, douche canoe extraordinaire. That is pretty much how I think of him at this point. Honestly, I don't think anything could change that, really. I would love Um, to challenge him to try. (laughs) Please. Please try and redeem your ass because let me tell you right now, there's nothing to redeem. Oh, chapter 11. So they arrive in the night court, Feyre and Reese, and it's morning. And Reese is like, Have breakfast with me. And Feyre's like, I don't know. And as she starts to turn, she's realized how much weight she's lost because literally her clothes are starting to spin on her body. Yep. I'm like, Dude. So she's finally like, and, 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 and God bless Reese, he is trying, like, he is trying to kind of poke at her and rile her up and kind of just 
I don't know, get her going a little to kind of engage. Because I think he is worried about her. And she even finally acknowledges that maybe he's worried about her. Yeah, and... I think the really cute thing, like, cute but also, like, important, <laughs> is she notes that she could almost see, like, when, you know, they're talking and he's all like, no shoe throwing this time. And she says, I can almost see the other words in his eyes. Come on, play with me. Play with me. Mm-hmm. And like, I I think that's really important because I think it conveys that she's actually picking up on the fact that he's like almost a little desperate to see her prove she's better. Like, he wants to see that she's better off than he's thinking she is. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm with you. I'm there. I'm totally there. And she, this whole time, she's like, I'm tired. Like, she's acknowledging how tired she is. And so once they're almost at the table, then Reese suddenly goes, so I felt a spike of fear this month down the bond. Want to talk to me about this? And Pharaoh's like, it was nothing. And poor Reese, he's like, um, really? And Favor's like, fine, just look in my mind. I don't care, but I'm not going to talk about it. It just, I don't know. She's like, you know, what's going on? You can always tell. And he's like, he responds. And, and this is kind of, I think, important because I think this is where some of the dynamic that we saw at the end of book one during the trials under right. the mountain between them starts to come back into play a little well and real quick before because i think i know where you're going with this real quick before he says what he says again she notes that she realizes that like she like she's looking at him and he looks like he's not enraged about her being all it was nothing he's actually worried but she notes that she swears she felt the mountain move Mm mm-hmm and I just think that's, like, again, it's, like, a subtle, important, like, she is picking up on these itty-bitty things. About him. That she yeah. never says anything about with Tamlin. Ever. Exactly. Well, and it's not even just that. It's just the fact that, like, can you imagine somebody who's not, like, your fiancé being literally, like, more mad, that, like, so mad that they're, like, equal or more mad than your fiancé? <laughs> Like, he's literally, like, containing his rage and moving mountains over the fact that she hasn't eaten any fucking breakfast. (laughs) And that she won't talk to him. And he recognizes, I think he really does recognize how depressed she is. So for that, I mean, I'm like, you go, Reese. Like, anyway. um, And he responds to her comment about, you know, checking in on the bond and all that. He's like, well, because these days all I hear through the bond is nothing. Silence, even with your shields up, rather impressively most of the time, I should be able to feel you. And yet, I don't. So sometimes, I'll tug on the bond only to make sure you're still alive. And then, one day, I'm in the middle of an important meeting when terror blasts through the bond. All I get are glimpses of you and him, and then nothing. Back to silence. I'd like to know what caused the disruption. 
And her only response is, is, it's an argument between Tam and I, and the rest is not anything of your concern. And I'm thinking, okay, he wants to know, but the person who caused this has yet to have a conversation with you about it, other than apologize, prophet, you know. <sighs> well, and like, I did make a note here because I was thinking about how, I was thinking about how this has to be so annoying for Reese because mm -hmm. like their relationship, friendship or not friendship or whatever you want to call it aside, like, could you imagine like minding your own damn business? <laughs> having that happen? <laughs> that, I'd be, that I'd happens? Be like, like yeah. what the hell? Exactly. Like, I think you deserve an answer for that. He does. And I just, it makes me angry. She doesn't want to give him one. And I'm like, bitch, please. He's actually asking because he cares. And he's like, why is it he, he, you know, and he's like, why is it you look like your grief and guilt and rage are all eating you alive bit by bit? Again, depression, he's picking up on it. He's voicing it. But the man that she's living with and is supposed to marry and is the true love of her life can't say two words about it. And it just, mm, just makes me so angry it really oh people you have no idea and she's like i didn't want to talk about it. she's like i don't want to talk about it get out of my head and he's like make me and she's she gives up she doesn't try to fight him she just gives up and then she's like well where's more like totally changing the topic and that hurts reese because he's like, wait a minute, you know, mentally and emotionally, you know, he's kind of like, whoa. She but didn't also, even like, me. we as the reader know this is her MO. She and Tamlin used to do this to each other all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Because, of course, you know, they're both master communicators, especially Tamlin. Not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's so good. Mm, no, he's not. But, yeah, mm, he is. He is. He's fabulous. All right, it's one of my friends. He's fabulous, darling. Not. Then he, then he asks her, he's like, so is the wedding on hold? And, and, and all she says is yes. And, and Reese is like giving her shit because he's like, all right, maybe if I harass her in a good way, maybe she'll respond. Right. And he's right. like, you know, she's like, you know, oh, I expected an answer more along the lines of don't ask stupid questions you already know the answer to or my timeless favorite, go to hell. And she just is not responding, and and it it it's kind of weird. And yeah, he's you know, taking the mentality of he'd rather her yell at him than just sit there in silence. Exactly. And you know, he's like, she tells him she's not going to work with him. She refuses, and he's like, why? And she's like, I'm not going to be a part of this war you think is coming. You say I should be a weapon, not a pawn. They seem like the same to me. The only difference is who's wielding it. And then she's like, you want my help because it'll piss off Tamlin. Oh, but his response, I think, is so important because he's trying to point out that he's not, he doesn't live under a rock. He knows exactly how her relationship with Tamlin is going. Because he says, mm -hmm. I want to help not manipulate you. Yes. 
which you, you know <laughs> well well then that's all i'm gonna say about that oh well then <laughs> i mean but huge huge like and he's like and he admits it and he comes back later and he's like look i dug that grave myself that's all i did under the mountain but i need your help and she still refuses and you know he he's really trying to push her to ask questions and ask why and and she's just she's numb she's not doing anything and and finally reese on his own makes this admission which i think is kind of huge and i will tell you a little spoiler alert it does kind of come back and plays a big part later on it, it later does, in the book. and it's it's really it's short but really well written it is and it is reese says i was a prisoner in her court for nearly 50 years i was tortured and beaten and fucked until only telling myself who i was what i had to protect kept me from trying to find a way to end it please help me keep that from happening again to prithian and of course Feyre has no response and she's like well you know She's thinking to herself, Tamlin and I are trying. Well, but in fairness, she does do the thing in her head, and we've watched her do this specifically with Reese before. She says outwardly, like, you know, yeah, yeah, whatever. But inwardly, she says, some distant part of my heart ached and bled at the words and what he'd laid bare. She knows that that was a yeah. big deal for him to say. And truthfully, she also, I think, just kind of knows she is not in the mental space to say anything else about it. No, and I actually agree. You know what I, I mean? Totally like, agree. even even okay. if she wanted in this moment to agree with, like, to, to side with him, to work with him, to under, you know, whatever, she's just not, she's basically not healthy enough to do so. I, I agree. Oh, completely. I mean, she is not in the best mental, emotional state at all. Um, and they go back to eating, and that was, like, literally it. So then we get the little cross, snowflakey, whatever. And she's like, I didn't join him for dinner. I missed breakfast. So when I finally get up at noon, depressed much. Right, again, um, big red flag. <laughs> she, she finds him, and he's waiting upstairs for her. And he's like, copy these sentences. And she takes the paper, and she reads perfectly. Resand is a spectacular person. Resand is the center of my world. Resand is the best lover a female can ever dream of. I set down the paper, wrote out the three sentences, and handed it to him. The claws slammed into my mind a moment later and bounced harmlessly back, glimmering again off of a black glimmering shield of adamant. And he's like, you practiced. She's like, I had nothing better to do, and walks away. I mean, that's like a mic drop moment in the it best really possible I, and And in fairness, probably in that moment, like, while he's like, oh, okay, like, we didn't really communicate anything. Probably in that moment, he is glad to see, like, she at least took what he said about her needing to be able to read and being able to shield herself and all these things. Like, clearly, she's thought about it, and she's been working on it, like, even when she's exactly. not exactly so it's so, like I, th I think this is like a little string of hope for him that he's like okay okay like she may say she's not listening to me but she's at least doing but, those things <laughs> score one for the uh for the for the dark 
High Lord of Night Court. Right. And then you get a little snowflake E star cross thingy and it's like four sentences. Apparently he's he leaves her a, a note, some books, and all it says is I have business elsewhere, the house is yours, send word if you need me. And she doesn't. Days pass, she has no contact with him. So Reese returns at the end of the week and Apparently, she's taken to, you know, one of the little nook areas and reading and the whole bit. But, hey, she's reading. Right, she read? right. I read. Go, girl. We starts playing with her to get her to eat because he literally brings food to her to make sure she's eating. She does thank him. And he laughs. He's like, thank you. Not high lord and servant or what is it you want you can go shove it up your ass we sand how dis- how disappointing so i love that he comes back at her and he's just teasing her and he's trying to engage her and bring her into this i'm like you yeah well like and he's still holding the spicy. plate like he brought her the plate yeah. of food but he won't hand it over <laughs> kind of we're into play i'm gonna you know Carrot before the horse, the, yeah, carrot before the cart, you know, the horse. Just as she goes to get it, he pulls it away, but he does it, like, with that mental magic, you know, he just telekinetically pulls the plate away, and it comes back, and it pulls away again. He's like, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do to help you. Keeping the plate out of her reach, and I'm just like, oh. All right. If nothing else, he just won my heart because he's literally, how can I help you? He is recognizing she is not in a good place at all. How can I help you? Well, and I think he's at this point, for whatever reason in this moment, he's, I guess because the week is ending, he's just kind of getting desperate for an answer. And I think he's terrified to take her back because he doesn't know what he's going to see in a month. Well, yeah, because of what he says next. It, like, breaks your heart. And he's like, you know, months and months is exactly. He's, he's talking to her, and she's, he's like, months and months, and you're still a ghost. Does no one there ask what the hell is happening? Does your high lord simply not care? Well. That is putting the nail right into that coffin and putting it right down, you know, hitting that on the head because boy damn does he figure it out. Right. And and he's like, you know, and and her her thought is is, you know, he's giving me space to sort it out. And and you know, she's like, Tamlin did care, perhaps too much. Again, she is acknowledging that Tamlin's a little toxic in the way he cares and right. i i have to i have to be happy that that she's able to do that like she is smart enough at this point to be able to recognize even in her own weird way that he cares too much that it's it's really kind of a toxic thing reese is like let me help you we went through enough under the mountain and Farah flinches as soon as he says under the mountain and reese is like she wins that bitch wins if you let yourself fall apart and that part breaks my heart because of how it's worded. Because no. she flinches and then it says she wins, Reese breathes. And I can just imagine he is just out. He's just out of ideas. He's just yeah. frustrated and tired and out of ideas. 
And that's all he can basically muster up himself is she wins. That bitch wins if you let yourself fall apart. Exactly. And I just, uh, it guts you because you know that like he's, this to me proves he's at least actively working on his post Undermountain trauma. Exactly. And he he's is. trying to get her to do that. And, and we clearly know Tamlin's not doing that. Tamlin's got his head in the sand like an ostrich. Right, right. And so it's like, I gotta give him points because, like, he's acknowledging, like, yeah, I got my own shit, but at least I'm dealing with it. Yeah. So then Reese gets kind of mad at her and slams the book she's reading on her fingers. <laughs> and she starts to retaliate. She's like, something starts gaining power, and she's like, icy glittery rage and she's like I could almost feel that ice at my fingertips kissing my palms and I swore there was frost coating the book before I hurled it at his head well here's the favor we all know and love right the girl the shoe thrower yeah the shoe thrower the the bone thrower like a javelin at Amarantha this is the favor we all know and love and he's like good what else do you have? And I think he's relieved because he's actually getting a response out of her. And I think people who have read this and they, they kind of get creeped out about it and they, they take it the wrong way. And I'm like, no, he's happy. She is having an emotional response to him. Which is better he's than... having an emotional response, period. Exactly. Because up to this point, she's been practically comatose the whole week. Pretty much. I mean, she's been comatose for... Well, over a month months. really at this point yeah. you know so i mean any response out of her makes him feel so much better and um the ice apparently melts to flame and then you know he is just like anytime you need someone to play with whether it's during our marvelous week together or otherwise let me know Vera acknowledges she's like, I couldn't muster up a response, exhausted from the little bit of temper I had shown. Again, huge red flag for depression, if anybody has ever dealt with it. And I have to take a moment and say, Sarah J. Mass has got one of the best ways of writing about depression that I've ever experienced from a writer. Um, she's very real about it. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't try to sugarcoat it. She doesn't over-dramatize it. Right. Uh, and I, I respect that. And, and I'm like, you go, girl. Because she really, if anybody, if you've ever been there, and I, again, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I have. I have been there. I understand it. And so I can really relate to the way it's described and the way Sarah J. Mass wrote it. So kudos to her. And in fairness, um, and in fairness, I know there are some people who point out that, like, that's not how they experience depression i read something the other day that was like no two people's depression looks the same and that's what's so hard about diagnosing it and i think exactly. i think that's important to keep in mind that like if this feels extreme or like maybe not how you would experience it or what have you or what you've seen the point is is there are enough of us who have seen it look pretty textbook and exactly like this that we can appreciate what she's doing Exactly. And no, 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 none of us have depression. None of us experience the same way. I'm not saying that because I've had it, I experience it the way Fair is experiencing it, because I'm not. But I recognize enough of the tells and the symptoms that I know um, 
that that's what it is. And I can relate to that part of it because I've done well, right. that myself. And so I think that's what makes it so tangible because so many people, it really, I, a lot of other stories I've read, it just never felt authentic. And this is very authentic feeling. And then Favor makes a huge self-realization moment here. And she's like, and I realized I was in a free fall with no end. Had been for a while. From the moment I'd stabbed that fey youth in the heart. Yep. Snowflake time. <laughs> and the next morning, they go back to the spring court. And Tamla's out there waiting for them all pissy. And he's like, get inside. Dickhead. Which has to be wild because, again, we don't have phones, presumably. So I don't feel like she called ahead and was like, I'm on the way home. So, like, is he just going to skulk around the garden or whatever all day and assume that's where Reese was going to drop her off? I feel like he could have dropped her off directly in her bedroom and never seen Tamlin if he wanted to. I think that's how winnowing works. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so Pharaoh, I mean, Pharaoh steps away and Reese and Tamlin are basically having a face off and all Reese says to Safira is fight it and then he just winnows away gone poof go bye bye and and she's Tamlin I'm fine and I'm, I'm okay it was fine he didn't bother me and Tam's like I'm gonna make I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to end this and you know Again, like the last visit, guess who had to literally walk through everything she did in the night court for a week? Who she spoke to, what she did, who she, what she ate. Guarantee you that that had to be a question, right? What did you eat? What did you drink? Right. You know, what did you do? Oh, well, I sat and read. I mean, ooh, there's an exciting. And literally. Truthfully, he left me alone all week like you do. <laughs> yeah, but it was nice. Because I didn't have half the world watching everything I did. And she acknowledges it. She's like, I had been taken from him once in the most permanent of ways, but never again. The century returned in full force the next morning. And there, there we have the end of the chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah. I mean, this is exhausting. I mean, Tamlin, she comes back and, and she, she tells him nothing happened. I'm fine. He left me alone, and now she can't. She can't take two steps without anybody in any direction knowing whether she farted, burped, or you know, yeah, sneezed. It just bothers me. It, it, yeah. Well, and so like on that note, chapter twelve, we're back in the spring court. Farah is now allowed out of the side of the house, and that's about to go as well as you think it's gonna go you know, mm. shitty, and <laughs> given that, I just, like, want to take a second to, like, address the elephant in the room, which is Farah and Tamron's, Tamlin's relationship. <laughs> so, Kim knows. A certain blog <laughs> I was reading that shall remain unnamed <laughs> argued that the changes in Farah and Tamlin in this book reminded them like, they felt like by this point in the book, like, Tamlin is such an ass, and Farah is so weak. They felt like the, the changes of these characters in this book reminded them of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer plot, 
right. only for the big reveal to be that everybody's memories had been magic and she was never there. And I think the bloggers were making this reference because they felt like Tam and Feyre were acting so wildly out of character from book one to this point that they were like, oh, this must be like magic or bad writing or something like that. And I just, it stuck out to me because I realized that I completely disagree. <laughs> Because if I'm going to make this into a Buffy plot, it's the plot where she dies. Mm -hmm. She dies and her friends bring her back. And then they can't wrap their head around for like five episodes why she seems different. And mm -hmm. like, spoiler if you haven't watched the show, but I don't think I should have to say that in 2021 given the show ended like 15 years ago. She's struggling. Buffy is struggling. Because her friends, when they brought her back, ripped her out of heaven. Mm -hmm. Like, they thought she was somewhere horrendous and that they were doing her a favor. But she had died and made peace with it. And they ripped her out of heaven. And so she has PTSD and doesn't have the heart to tell them what they've done. And so, yeah. to me, that sounds kind of like what Feyre is dealing with at this point. Which is... Tamlin's so busy, like, worrying about, like, oh, like, there's all this evil big bad that he can't for a second imagine that Feyre is trying to grapple with, like, all this other shit that has nothing to do, really, with Under the Mountain. Like, uh, I apparently have ice fingers, and I can, you know, burn tables, and, you know, I mean, she's Thank dealing you. with... Right, like, she's dealing with all of these other things that, like, yeah. Does she have PTSD? Yes. Is she upset about what happened to the mountain? Yes. Like, should they be slightly worried about, you know, hibern and all that crap? Sure. But like, he can't understand why she seems different now and like why she can't just stay home. And I feel like that just, it's because he's not like the characters in Buffy because he's not listening. He's not. He stopped listening as soon as he got what he wanted at the end of book one. Exactly. And I don't know, I just, we got Buffy back and we'll get Favor back too. But I just think this concept of like expecting people to be like fine within a couple of weeks or months of all of this stuff that they've been through is unrealistic and like kind of just does the characters a disservice because I think there are a lot of people from what I've read online who at this point in the book are kind of like, well, everybody seems like they're just whiny and different. And it's like, well, yeah, they are whiny and different, but <laughs> I think they have good reason to be. Yes, they do. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. So anyway. <laughs> And it's where they brought in the sister Dawn because Dawn is brought in and the plot has to keep like retroactively putting the sister into previous memories. Lucian and Tamlin are out on the border doing what they do, whatever it is they do. And Farah, other than a few visits from Anthony, is just essentially housebound and feeling completely empty. And she dives into books, which, you know, I think everybody listening to this podcast can relate to. <laughs> Hello. She says, eternity. Was this to be my eternity? I was burning through books every day, stories about people and places I'd never heard of. They were perhaps the only thing that kept me from teetering into utter despair. Boy. <laughs> oof. <laughs> so big oof. 
Um, but moving on, after eight days, eight days, you guys! This is the second time that she has come back from the night court and Tamlin just fucking disappears for like a week. Like, okay, uh, remember I said I would point this out again? So I want to point out that, like I said, this is the second time this has happened. She literally might as well have kept her original two-week bargain because right. at this point, she always leaves for a week to spend in the night court and then comes back and Tamlin's gone for a week. She might as well just spend half her month at the night court. Nothing would have been different. Exactly. At least there, she would have been, honestly, she would have eaten and felt better. Jesus, right? I don't know. Anyway, so the jackass gets back and kisses her forehead and then goes into a closed meeting with Ianthe. And Feyre's pissed. She is so pissed that her nails start to grow and turn into claws, like curling over her fingers. And she quickly realizes what's going on and she wills herself to stop, but not before Lucian sees. <laughs> Are you uh, Lucian. Yeah, Lucian who, side note, she keeps referring to as, quote, my friend, quote, and I think it just proves how little she and Tamlin are really communicating at this point, because, like, at this point, aside from maybe Alice, and we don't get much Alice, like, I think she's kind of acknowledging that Lucian's her friend, because Lucian's the only one who is, like, even just a little bit seeing her at this point. True. Like, he's not <laughs> Reese-level seeing her, but he is at least halfway observant with his eyeballs open, and unfortunately mm -hmm. just can't do a damn thing for her. No, his hands are very much tied. Right. But this time, he does try to do a little something. <laughs> he motions for her to follow him, and he leads her away from Tam and Anthe to, like, some little study far away on the second floor, and once the door is closed, he says, how long have the claws been appearing? And she tells him this is the first time. But Lucian, being less stupid than most at this point, says that he'll ask Tam about letting her train, because clearly her powers are going to manifest in one way or another. And yep. the awkward part is that Feyre knows Tam won't let her, so she just leaves. Like, she doesn't even bother to, like, talk to Lucian about this. She just walks out. And then, later that night, she can hear Lucian and Anthea Tamlin all, like, whisper yelling. <laughs> I'm just gonna read you this conversation because it's a doozy. It is. It is. Ugh. I told you I don't like Ianthe. This is why. They will hunt her and kill her, Ianthe had hissed at Lucian. Lucian growled back. They'll do it anyway, so what's the difference? The difference, Ianthe had seen, lies in us having the advantage of this knowledge. It won't be Feyre alone who is targeted for the gifts stolen from those High Lords. Your children, she then said to Tam, will also have such power. Other High Lords will know that, and if they do not kill Feyre outright, then they might realize that they, what they stand to gain if gifted with offspring from her, too. Which is like a wild, weird jump to me, because actually we have no fucking idea if that's how this works. I don't know that, but ew. Well, right, so, like, Anthony's basically saying, like, they'll find her and rape her and take her children, which, okay, but, like, Anthony can't possibly know that, because we know for a fact that, like, when she, like, there's this whole point about how, like, now she's different, not just because she has these powers, but because she's been, quote, made, which is different than being, like, a high lord or something, so to assume that that's how this genetically gets passed on sounds like bullshit to me. 
Well, but not only that, I, honestly, she's fear-mongering. But that's what I mean. Like, she's just making it up. She has no idea. And, and... Uh, yeah, the well, difference. Well, Lucian basically backs up what you and I said, because he says, if they were to do that, none of the other High Lords would stand with them. They would face the wrath of six courts bearing down on them. No one is that stupid. Apparently, right. a- apparently Anthony's that stupid, because she goes... Resand is that stupid, and with the power of his, he could potentially withstand it. Imagine, she said, voice softening as if she had no doubt turned to Tamlin, a day might come when he does not return her. You hear the poison lies, he whispers in her ear. There are other ways around it, she had added with such quiet venom. We might not be able to deal with him, but there are some friends that I made across the sea. We are not, and then Lucian's just like, we're not assassins. Reese is what he is, but who would take his place? And he's right, because that's the other thing. We got to remember his whole fucking family's been murdered. So we have no idea how that High Lord power is going to get passed on. Who knows what bullshit from the Night Court that could pull through. Like, at least Reese is the nasty you know instead of the nasty you don't know. And remember, he himself says that I, that Amarantha was not that creative when she based her court under the mountain off of his court right. of nightmares. So he's got some shitty people around. Anyway, so like I said, Lucian's the only one making any damn sense. <laughs> and so Lucian is pleading, Tamlet, Tam, just let her train. Let her master this. If the other High Lords do come for her, let her stand a chance. And then, like, we think this over, and all we get from Tamlin is, we give them no reason to suspect she might have any abilities, which training will surely do. Like, we're not, basically, he says no. (laughs) Right? Basically, the moral of the story here is, he says no. (laughs) And then we gather that Lucian isn't thrilled about this because we hear Tamlin say, don't give me that look, Lucian. But I guess Lucian doesn't listen because then there's silence and then magic rocks the whole house and a snarl is heard. And with that, Feyre just goes back to her room and locks the door, (laughs) skipping dinner. I don't blame her. Well, that's what I said. I was like, I would too, because like F all of this, like fuck all of it. All of this is trash, okay? (laughs) Except Lucian. Yeah, I mean, like this whole conversation that she overheard is trash. It is all bullshit. (sighs) And then we get a snowflakey deal, and we're informed that okay, this is uh, then we're informed that Tamlin didn't come to bed that night. Which, like, thank God, because I'm sure his his temper would have like handled the whole her locking him out really well. guys shit about to hit the fan (laughs) she wakes up and she like leaves her room and there's just like sentries outside her room you know so pleasant and she's walking down the hall and walking down the stairs and she's passing all these guards that's the first time we've ever heard her say that they were actually outside her door well true true but also there's all these other people like she's apparently passing sentries outside her door but she's also passing guards on the stairs like there's just people fucking everywhere but the thing is is none of them speak to her no like no one is saying like hi good morning how you doing how'd you sleep do you want jam on your toast like nothing (laughs) 
And so this, like, this is basically Farrah just realizing, like, this is her life now. And she says, such silence, too much silence. I need to get out of this house. Needed to do something. And, like, honestly, I get that because, like, wanting to do something, wanting to get out of the house, to me, sounds like a huge step towards recovery. Like, people who are feeling depressed often need to feel useful, need to feel like they mm-hmm. bring value to something. Absolutely. And so she's lacking that, and she is acknowledging that, and she wants that. So that's good, except then this is where shit hits the fan, because she rounds the corner, and she's coming down the stairs, and she sees that Tam and Lucian are, like, armed and headed out somewhere. And she's like, y'all are leaving again? <laughs> And they're just like, yeah, there's activity on the Western Sea border. And Farrah puts together that this is like the area closest to Highburn. So like that can't be great. Mm-mm. And she asks if she can go with them. And of course, Tam says no, claiming it's like too dangerous. And Lucian is trying really hard to make himself invisible <laughs> because he does not like where this conversation is going. And Farah and Tamlin are just, like, going at it, and she, like, looks over Tamlin's shoulder to look at Lucian for backup, and he just doesn't say anything, which, like, ugh, but I get it. (laughs) And then Farah thinks, well, fine, like, maybe I'll just let them leave, and then I'll sneak out after them, but somehow, like, Tam already guesses that this is what she's thinking, and he tells her, don't even think about it, and growls, like, don't, don't even try to come after the, to come after us. But this literally sends Feyre, like, begging now. And she, like, you'd think Tamlin could at least put off leaving for a few minutes so that they could, Mm -hmm. like, work through this. But he doesn't. She even says, please, noting that she hated the word and that he's just walking away from her because, as I always say, he's a jackass. And she blurts out that there is always going to be some kind of danger. There's always going to be some reason she can't go. But he, for some reason, decides to be extra stupid and says, you can barely sleep through the night. Proving, proving that he's not just like a heavy sleeper. He literally ignores her while she pukes. Yeah. Like, up until this point, you could try to give him the benefit of the doubt and be like, well, maybe he's just a heavy sleeper. But nope, 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 nope. Also, like, let's think about this. Like, I mean, she fires back that he can't sleep either and they keep arguing. But, like, this is some bullshit because he's basically saying, like, well, you have trauma. Bitch, you have anger issues. Like, what? Ugh, I just, I can't. Anyway, they keep arguing, and Farah is basically in tears because her voice cracks, and she says, you promised I need to get out of this house, and my heart's just breaking for her because she is trying to be so clear in what she needs, and at the very least, you'd think that he would realize that she needs him to at least stay and have this conversation, but he keeps walking, And then she has some beautiful internal monologues here, but I'm not going to read them. So you can just like go pick up the book because y'all it's great. And you know, you're supposed to be reading this. (laughs) Well, not only that, but she has some great self-realization moments. And one of the great things is, is she's like, you know, the girl that I was before died under the mountain. And she says that in this monologue. And I'm just like, 
that that right there that's a new turning point for her yes exactly and that's why like without reading like five pages of text i just wasn't gonna get i wasn't gonna be able to sum it up that well so exactly like that's one of the more like like beautiful lines out of the whole thing so you gotta go read the whole thing Yes, um, please go read the whole thing, but yes. Go read the whole thing. <laughs> but eventually, Tamlin, again, with all of the stupid and audacity in the world, says, even if I risked it, your untrained abilities would render your presence more of a liability than anything. How is he going to act like she should have trained if she wants to go if he won't let her train? Exactly. And Lucian was standing there arguing to get her trained. Jesus Christ, I'm just... uh, This part just makes me so mad. Okay, but she stands her ground, and she admits in her internal monologue that she is cracking, but she, you know, she she carries on, and she basically just says, like, well, I'm coming whether you want me to or not, and he says, no, you aren't, and steps over the threshold out of the house, a threshold that is suddenly an invisible wall and not letting Feyre through. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? At, at first, Feyre thinks it's something she accidentally did with her powers, but then she realizes Tamlin did it. I reached a hand to the open air of the doorway and met solid resistance. Tamlin, I rasped, but he was already down the front drive, walking towards the looming iron gate. Lucian remained at the foot of the stairs, his face so, so pale. Tamlin, I said again, pushing against the wall. He didn't turn. And this just has my blood boiling because, like, Lucian, he's, he's just standing there and he's like, like he, he doesn't really do anything. He just is basically telling her what's happened. And he says, he's shielded the entire house around you. Others can go in and out, but you can't. Not until he lifts the shield. And she finally admits this moment for what it is. He's locked me in here. He's not a prisoner. Yeah. A few moments pass and Lucian leaves and she says it eternally, internally again and again. He's locked me in. He's sealed me inside this house. And like the next few moments are just like so painful and raw that there was no way for me to explain it. So I'm just gonna read it to you when I find it. So here's one of the things, and I'll, while you do that, I have a couple of bits in here that I can I can read that I found. And she's like, first of all, she realizes she's trapped in the house. She may as well be back under the mountain for how it makes right. her feel. And, you know, she starts to back away and to try and get away from all this, and she's starting to panic. No sentries. Nobody. There are guards all over. Not one of them blinks. Not one of them tries to come in at least make sure she is okay. Right. She could be having a friggin' heart attack they're gonna do anything and i'm like that that pisses me off when i read that i was like the very first time i was like ready to throw shit i was so angry oh yeah it's just awful because like i said she's like you're right like nobody's coming in after her and she says he's locked me he's locked me in he's sealed me inside the house and then this is the part that just breaks my heart breathing became difficult I was trapped. I was trapped inside this house. I might as well have been under the mountain. I might as well have been inside that cell again. I backed away, my steps too light, too fast, and slammed into the oak table in the center of the foyer. None of the nearby sentries came in to investigate. He trapped me in here. 
He'd locked me up. I stopped seeing the marble floor or the paintings on the walls or the sweeping staircase looming behind me. I stopped hearing the chirping of the spring birds or the sighting of breeze through the curtains. And then crushing black pounded down and rose up from beneath, devouring and roaring and shredding. It was all I could do to keep from screaming, to keep from shattering into 10,000 pieces as I sank into the marble floor, bowing over my knees and wrapped my arms around myself. He trapped me, he trapped me, he trapped me. I had to get out because I'd barely escaped from another prison once before. And this time, this time, and this is when she starts trying to like think of what she could possibly do. And the first thing she can think of doing is winnowing, but she doesn't know how. And so the next thing she hears is she vaguely hears someone who turns out to be Alice shouting her name, but she can't stop. She's managed to cocoon herself in this darkness and fire and ice and fire is like literally melting her engagement ring off her finger and the darkness is suffocating her. And she is now realizing that she can't get out. Mm -hmm. And in a few minutes or maybe longer, we don't know. But time passes, and Ferris suddenly feels herself being lifted up by female hands. At first, she fears it's Amarantha, back from the dead to finish her off, but she hears Alice say, please, please take care of her. And that's when she hears Moore's voice reply, consider yourselves very, very lucky that your High Lord was not here when we arrived. Your guards will have one hell of a headache when they wake up, but they're alive. Be grateful. And more carries Farah out of this house. And like, again, what a beautiful moment this could be for TV. <laughs> I love it. Like, I just love this image of like one woman like carrying another woman like straight out of this house. And then even like her line, she said, like, as she's carrying her out of the house, she says, did you think his shield would keep us from you? Reshattered it with half a thought. And Farah like begins to spaz a little bit and more quiets her repeating, you're free. And Farrah notes that these words are like very intentional. You're free, mm-hmm. not safe, not protected, free. And I just like small spoiler for later in the book, like when we learn about Moore's character more later, I think mm-hmm. it's super fitting and special that she would find it best to tell Farrah that she's free above all things. Absolutely. Like, and this is one of the reasons why more, Neo and I talk about this, like this is one of the things about more that makes her one of my favorite, like secondary main characters is exactly. She's so intuitive to this. And so she's what she's met favor once, twice. Yeah. Like a couple times. Yeah. But she's already smart enough to know how to talk to her and deal with her and, and, comfort her yeah exactly yeah it's amazing and more literally carries pharaoh like basically over mountains through the woods (laughs) like it's like a far fucking trek the point is is it's a while and they eventually emerge into this patch of sunlight a place that pharaoh suspects may be like the summer court point is is like she's suspecting that they've crossed over out of the spring court and mm-hmm. she's handed off to a new set of arms as Moore announces, I did everything by the book. And Farah then recognizes Reese's voice. Then we're done here. And he must be winnowing with her because she says that wind tears at her. But then, quote, a sweeter, softer shade of night caressed me, stroking my nerves, my lungs, until I could at last get air inside. 
until it seduced me into sleep. And that's the end of chapter 12. <laughs> oh boy, that is a lot to take in. I'm just. It's a crazy emotion, man. I know. Like, I got so angry at Tam. I, I remember the first time I read this, I literally was so mad at him. Yes. So, so angry. Yes. And I. I remember when you and I talked about it the first time and I was, you, you, you were like, oh my God. And I was just like, yep. Yeah. I was like text screaming. And I was like, it's okay. It's okay. Deep breath. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> and it is okay because at the end of the chapter, more and Reese save her. They set her yeah. free. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is so adorable. Also side note, I saw this really random TikTok and I, don't know whose it was and I don't remember what the actual point of the TikTok was so I, I would love to tell you <laughs> where to find it but I don't remember the actual point I just remember that somebody said something about like you know <laughs> Faye was a Sagittarius and if you know anything about a Sagittarius you can't keep them locked up so that was Tamlin's biggest mistake <laughs> and I was like damn that's so true because I'm a Sagittarius and I literally have a tattoo of a phoenix because I always remind myself that, like, I reserve the right to just, like, get the fuck out. <laughs> and I was like, wow, there's some truth to that. <laughs> so I just was like, oh, my God, they set her free. I love this like a bird Ooh, like my phoenix tattoo so yeah that was my weird connection with it and like i said some tiktok somewhere brought the point up but i can't remember anything else about that tiktok i'm sure there was more to it <laughs> well you know it's funny because the way they kept going on free 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 it total random side note here people but really quick when i was in graduate school i worked at a museum in detroit that um it was part of the Underground Railroad, and they, they had a bunch of stuff that they did about the Underground Railroad. So, of course, the whole thing, you know, all the different things you learned about the drinking gourd and the different, you know, following right. the stars at night, the whole bit. And, you know, one of the things that they would always do after certain events is they would do the spiritual free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Yep. <laughs> I have to say, that's kind of what started going through my head. Yeah. So go Reverend King. <laughs> right. So the aftermath of all this. Chapter 13. Pharaoh mm -hmm. wakes up to sunlight and open space and she is back in the night court. Pharaoh is lounging on an armchair like or Pharaoh's like lounging on like a couch and Reese is in an armchair and she notes that his face is solemn like she's never seen it and he's looking out over the mountains. And she says she sees no kindness in his eyes, just rage. But then he notices her waking up and the rage is gone. And a flash of what she thinks is relief and exhaustion comes over him. <laughs> and she asks what happened. And he real and she, like when she asks, she realizes she's hoarse, like she's been screaming. And he explains, you were screaming. You also managed to scare the shit out of every servant and sentry in Tamlin's manor when you wrapped yourself in darkness and they couldn't see you. And so then she starts to worry that she may have hurt somebody, like, by accident, and he's like, no, no, you didn't, and he explains to her kind of, like, what they did. He says, you know, by law and protocol, 
things could have become very complicated and very messy if I had been the one to walk into that house and take you. Smashing that shield was fine, but Moore had to go in on her own two feet, render the sentries unconscious through her own power, and carry you over the border to another court before I could bring you here. Or else Tamlin could have free reign to march his forces into my lands to reclaim you. And as I have no interest in an internal war, we had to do everything by the book. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Like, again, I always appreciate that Reese always has a plan. <laughs> but he explains shit. Like, he doesn't kind of just put something out there and then just kind of make you go, um, what? Right, right. He, like, acknowledges that she wouldn't know how any of that works. Exactly. So Feyre is taking all this in and she starts to say something about when she goes back and Reese explains, as your presence here isn't part of our monthly requirement, you are under no obligation to go back unless you wish to. Which like good on him for just like putting that out there early on in this conversation, like not making her ask, like I'm just saying like he's just really not a bad dude. He's not. Right? (laughs) And Feyre just totally drowning in this whole thing, which is fair, tells him he locked me in that house. And mm-hmm. Reese admits, I know, I felt you, even with your shields up for one. Which, like, I don't know if this is the time or place to talk about this because I'm not trying to take away from Feyre's trauma. But like, like I said earlier, like, Reese having to feel all of these things, but like also only some things and at random times, like has to be super hard and weird. Just a bit. Like it has to be so uncomfortable to be woken up by somebody else's like PTSD nightmares and puking. Yeah. To feel somebody's complete and utter like fear and terror for just long enough that you know they're terrified, but not know what caused it or why it stopped. Are they really okay? You know, like it's just, yeah, it's wild. But Farah admits that she has nowhere else to go, noting that it's really a question and a plea, like to stay, or at least for now. And Reese invites her to stay for as long as she likes forever if she feels like it and she mutters that she needs to go back at some point and he tells her that as soon as she says the word he'd take her back and again I think this exchange is really important because again like immediately up front he's just Mm -hmm. like he's just telling her exactly how it is and I like I think it also speaks a lot to like what you and I've been saying which is like how they communicate with each other a, he's a much better communicator than Tam or Pharaoh. <laughs> and he's also picking up on the things that are going to worry her. And he's trying to, yeah. like, address those immediately. You know, and also I think it's interesting how she picks up on him doing this because she says, you know, he, he says, say the word and it's done. And in her internal monologue, she says he meant it too. Even if I could tell from the iron in his eyes that he didn't like it, he'd bring me back to the spring court the moment I asked. And it's like, they have like this like trust there that I just think is important to note. (laughs) It is. So Reese reiterates, I made you an offer when you first came here. Help me and food, shelter, clothing, all of it is yours. Works for me, I owe you anyway. 
and we'll figure out the rest day by day. And Fair is thinking about how furious all this would make Tamlin, but then she reminds herself that he locked her up and that whether that was because he's too broken by whatever happened to them both under the mountain or because he's just like deeply misunderstanding what she needs from him. Either way, mm -hmm. she decides and announces, I'm not going back, not until I figure things out. Whoa! Yeah. And she continues to think and Reese offers her some tea and while she's sipping, she asks him if her darkness that, you know, she had <laughs> created around herself, you know, is this, you know, this power must be from you. And he agrees it must be. And they briefly discuss some of her other powers. And after they talk about it for a little bit, Reese stands up and stretches his neck and Farrah realizes he, he must have been sitting in that chair next to her all night. And I, again, I just thought that was important that even she's realizing like, man, like, they literally walked in and walked me out of there. And then he sat here all night, just waiting for me to wake up. Hmm, how interesting. <laughs> but he says, you know, rest a day or two, Farah, then take on the task of figuring everything else out. I have business in another part of my lands. I'll be back by the end of the week. And as tired as she is, she just, can't like she's not gonna let him leave her not like she's been left behind before and mm -hmm. she is just so sick of the silence that she without thinking <laughs> says take me with you and he's like no like you need your rest but she insists and she's like basically begging it's very similar to the conversation she had with tamlin like earlier on in the book when she was like begging to go like with him and lucian at one point and she's, you know, she says, take me with you. And Reese can clearly see, like, how important this is to her. Because he takes a beat, and then he says, so I just, yeah, but I thought that was cute, that she's, like, basically, like, like I said, you can go in and read it. She literally describes the furniture and, like, the tchotchkes for, like, three pages. <laughs> it's super cute, though. Exactly. But that's why I thought, really, it's the last line that matters. This house, this house was a home that had been lived in, enjoyed, and cherished, and it was in a city. And the, it was in a city matters because she's like, oh, shit, I'm looking out a window, and there's a city out there, guys. This ain't no ruins. I'm so confused. <laughs> or at least she couldn't see any. Yeah. As far as she's noticed, it looks like a freaking city. <laughs> Crazy stuff, man. But then you gotta wonder, there's a city here, but the most civilized thing you have in Spring Court is the manor house. Yeah, don't even, get, girl, don't get me started. Don't <laughs> even get me started. It's like, let's go from, let's go from, you know, the 1700s to the 1800s. That's, yes, that's exactly, no, like, fuck that. It's more like going from, I'm sorry, it is worse than that. It is like going from the 1500s to the 1800s. Like, I don't know what Tamlin is doing in the damn spring court. We're over there, like, horse, like, we don't even have the horse and buggy over there. We just, like, only have the horse. <laughs> this is true. I mean, it is. It's very, um, it was very, it, it, it's very Tudor-esque. Yeah, I don't know, like, like you said, I don't know, we're Robin Hooding it up over in the spring court, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're in a fucking city. <laughs> yeah. 
like, yeah, it basically feels like the mortal realm was fucking around in, like, the 1700s. Somehow, Tamlin's court, like, decided to go back to Robin Hood times. And then, all of a sudden, we're like, oh, 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 now we made it to the Industrial Revolution. In Revolution. <laughs> like... It is really, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, and yes, we acknowledge this as a fantasy, and of course, right. you know, you can't put the modern sense of time and placement exactly. and history into it, but it, it is, that is how it kind of feels. It's, it's very, very weird. It's like, okay, Spring Court has zero cities. I mean, I, you, you come to that realization, they must not have any cities. Well, yeah, because they don't even call it that. They call it a village, and the village is being rebuilt. Right. So they've been backwards for how long? Because, because she, does, she does comment, you know, that, that both the map she saw in Reese's castle or palace, the Moonstone Palace, and the map she saw... In Farah, in um, in Tamlin's study or library, right. Both point out different cities throughout Prithian. Yeah, yeah. And in fairness, in fairness, if you remember back, y'all, Night Court just built one big blob. There, mm-hmm. there, there ain't no cities detailed in the Night Court on those maps. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Just saying. Anyway, with that, Kim, hit us up with our playlist. <laughs> so, you know, we talked a lot about depression and the melancholiness of, of what's going on. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is not the happiest part of our playlist. It is coming. We have some great stuff coming. I, I, I love. There are songs on this playlist that, as Kelsey knows, I just love. But the ones for today, it's not that I don't love them. They're not great songs, but they're not. They're not the happy, happy, joy, joy songs that you would get. You know, you don't get to hear Ren and Stimpy singing happy, happy, joy, joy. Not happening here. Um, So the first song that that we're going to go with is The Rose by Bette Midler. And it it really kind of sums up Farrah and Tamlin's relationship at this point. I don't know how familiar people are with the song, but there's a lyric in it that says, you know, some say love, it is a poison. And I really think that 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 part right there just that line really kind of puts the nail on the head for where their relationship is and what's going on you know remember earlier on Feyre in this section in this podcast you know we talk about one of the other chapters she she acknowledges that he loved her too much so I really felt that you know the rose and, and Kelsey and I talked about it that the rose was just really kind of appropriate for the explanation of where the relationship is and where it's going um, the next song we have is Come Back to Me by David Cook. It's about Feyre and Tamlin's relationship. And, you know, is kind of like, I'm here. I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. Um, don't, don't shut me out. Don't leave me alone. You know, again, where they are. And that's kind of, kind of appropriate. And then we have All Over You by The Spill Canvas. And it's really how we see it it's it's literally the the whole little bit in in chapter 12 where she is begging tamlin to you know not not leave her but to take her with him but right before he locks her in the house right because Um, it's basically just like whether you know the song or not it's it's basically pointing out 
that she's like begging at this point. Like, it's what I said. She's not just begging for him not to leave her behind. She's not just begging for him to take her with him. She's begging for him to like shut up and listen and pay attention to what she's mm -hmm. saying. And he's just not getting it. Yeah, he's not. He is not getting it at all. So, you know, it's again, very fitting. The next song, song number four, is Gone, Gone, Gone by Philip Phillips. Love the song. Great song. It's probably the most happy sounding of all the songs today. <laughs> but it really kind of fits, you know, the part of chapter 13 where, where Feyre looks at Reese and says, I'm not going back, at least not for now. And, you know, she's, she's acknowledging that she's gone. She has left the spring court and she, she's done for, at least for now, she is done. She's yeah. gone. And the last song is Roots Before Branches, uh, Room for Two. Uh, the Glee cast did a version of it, so you can always listen to it there. And they did a really cute version. Room for Two is a show. It's a Broadway show. Um, so you can pull the soundtrack if you want, or you can listen to the Glee version, because again, great version. And it's favorite to Tamlin, and it's literally as she's going to Valaris. It's you know, she's realizing she she's she really favorite to anybody home. who would fucking listen at this point. <laughs> true, very true. I think I think Lucian would understand the song. Yeah, like um, yeah, yeah. You know, she's she's gotta kind of she's kind of gotta get herself sorted out before she can figure anything else out move forward yeah and it's kind of her announcement that she's gonna have to she's acknowledging she's gonna have to stand on her own two feet at this point and she can't yep. just let tamlin keep telling her what to do yep but that's the playlist people like i said it's it's short and sweet there's only five five songs but again overall it's not the happiest sounding group but again it it, it goes with what's happening in this part of the story and that's why we present them in chunks because we want the songs we pick to kind of represent where we are in the story itself exactly and if you have any song thoughts or any other thoughts uh you're welcome to reach out to us on all of the things uh, yes please all of the things uh all of the things are massive with two a's like sarah j mass's name website massivefansbookclub.com facebook at massive fans book club and podcast twitter at massive podcast instagram at massive fans podcast pinterest at massive fans and tiktok at massive fan pod we look forward to starting part two of the book next episode and hanging out in Belarus. Yay! And meeting some peeps. <laughs> the city of starlight. I love it. I just uh, love it. Oh, the next few go. chapters are so freaking fun. I want to go. I want to go know. to Belarus. Take me to Belarus. Uh, yes. All right. Well, until then, uh, I guess this is it. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>